In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now Amnon had an advisor named Jonadab, son of Shemiah, David's brother. Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He asked Amnon, Why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Go to bed and pretend to be ill. Jonadab said, When your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight, so I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight, so I may eat from her hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace. Go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon, who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread in his sight and baked it. Then she took the pan and served him the bread, but he refused to eat. Send everyone out of here, Amnon said. So everyone left him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food here into my bedroom, so I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, Come to bed with me, my sister. No, my brother, she said to him. Don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Then Amnon hated her with an intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. Amnon said to her, Get up and get out. No, she said to him. Sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you've already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. He called his personal servant and said, Get this woman out of my sight and bolt the door after her. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. She was wearing an ornate robe, for this was the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the ornate robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away weeping aloud as she went. Her brother Absalom said to her, Has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. Our second reading this morning is taken from 1 Peter, chapter 2, and reading from verse 21. 
To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sin in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your fatherly heart, your immense love for humankind, expressed for us in the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ. Gracious Father, we thank you for the sending of your Holy Spirit. We thank, that, we thank you that his voice is not like the voice of the evil one who condemns us in our sin. Instead, the Holy Spirit convicts us in our sin and leads us to the cross of your Son, Jesus Christ, where salvation may be found. We thank you for your Spirit who raised him from the dead. And by his resurrection, we have been given new birth into a living hope, a hope that is kept for us in heaven. And so, Lord God, we pray that this morning your Holy Spirit may direct us again through this passage that he might guard our hearts, that he might intoxicate our souls, and that he might have control of my words. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, it was just last week that Second Samuel took us into a space through the account of David and Bathsheba, where we saw that when passion wears the crown, love is lost. And we came to understand that when passion is the driver of love, love becomes confused. We took the counsel of an ancient saint in Augustine who warned us that confused love is where evil resides. And this morning, as sadly we have to confess, the apple does not fall far from the tree. The eldest son of David, Amnon, and those associated with him take us into a space where we certainly see what is not love, but evil. Through the passage, we see strong, pa- we see strong passion, do we not? We see the infatuation and obsession of, Ab- of Amnon. We see the allegiance of his advisor, Jonadab. We've come to know now the indulgence of King David. His indulgence has been on display for some time and has been a model for his son. And now once again, he will indulge his son's every request. And we see what, as we read on, will come to be the vengeance of third son, Absalom. Strong strong passions throughout this passage. But did you notice that true love is absent? Strong passions... But love is absent from what we have read. And so I want to give you one simple big idea for this morning for us to hold on to in what is a weighty passage, and we're not going to dwell in it for too long. 
The big idea is this, always keep the crown present. For what is the crown? The crown's not a human possession. It never belonged to Saul, David, Solomon, or any who came after them. It doesn't belong to Charles. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to you. The crown is indeed the rule of a righteous God. That's what the anointed one was meant to do, to make the rule of a righteous God known to all people for their good. Always keep the crown present. There's just one verse in this passage that I'd like us to examine this morning. I think it's key to understanding, and it's 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 13. These are the words of this woman remembered in Scripture, Tamar. She says, what about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of those wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. In Tamar's protest, she gives us what we need to move forward today. She shows us two issues that are essential to understand and one hope. Issue one is what she calls my disgrace. This is not a slight on Tamar. This is her violation and the robbing of her dignity. Tamar's done nothing wrong. She says, issue number one is what it will be for her as this object of this abuse, of this violation. My disgrace, not treated graciously, but robbed and violated. That is issue one. Issue two is for the perpetrator of the sin, Amnon. He will be like one of the wicked fools. You may remember in our Proverbs series, we learned that fools forget God. You will be like one of those ones with a confused love who has forgotten your God. The issue for me, my disgrace, and the issue for you, wicked foolishness. And what is the hope that she points to? Speak to the king. Go to get counsel from the Lord's anointed. In him, we can hope for righteousness. Now, sadly, we know enough about David to know that is hit and miss. But Tamar's words remain true, that to seek the king, to find his counsel, to make the crown presence is where hope and protection is found in my disgrace or violation and where wisdom and righteousness might be found on the verge of wicked foolishness. For each man in this passage, you have to ask, where is the crown? For Amnon, where is the crown? Is it the crown of the Lord? Is it righteousness? No, for Amnon, the crown is worn by infatuation. For Jonadab, the cousin of Amnon, The crown is worn by allegiance and loyalty to be a good mate. David, his indulgence has been wearing the crown for some time. And for Absalom, as we will see in preceding chapters, Absalom desires an earthly crown of his own. And there's a vengeance to come. There's an obvious application, isn't there? As I read this passage, it points, it reminded me of a thread throughout Scripture Uh, that comes to light very much in the New Testament, and it's this requirement of God for the men of God to practice godly headship. Now, sometimes we feel strange about this, but we see what can happen when strong men are absent, when weak men are present, evil men have a way in. Where were these men? The obvious application is that the men of God must answer the call of God to guard what is righteous, 
to protect the vulnerable, to always make sure the counsel of the crown is present, to seek the righteousness of God, to bring the righteousness of God to all that they might be warned not to become foolish and that they might be protected in their vulnerability by a good and gracious and kind God who has given clear instructions to his people. The clear application of this passage for me is men of God, righteous men of God who have been made strong under God, don't forget your calling. Don't let culture confuse you. Stand up, press in, and make the crown present, for God has called you as his man with a wonderful calling to make his ways known and to guard the vulnerable. The less obvious application took me a little bit longer. To get to the less obvious application might take me just a moment more. I'll call it, it's moving beyond tribes. What does this look like? Whilst God has a call on men to guard and protect God has a call on all his righteous people to guard and protect. And there'll be different seasons for this. And sometimes it will mean you have to break the tribe. What do I mean by break the tribe? Well, I'm going to take you back to John Williamson's song, Hey True Blue. Hey True Blue. And he sings, is it standing by your mates when he's in a fight? It's a nice idea. Look after your mates. But sometimes when your mate's in a fight, it's because he's done the wrong thing. Sometimes you'll need to break the tribe and say to your mate, you're in the wrong here and you need to say sorry. You'll need to break the code of friendship for the code of righteousness. You see, objects, people, who might be objects of abuse, they come in all different shapes, sizes, genders, and ages. And sometimes the person who will be able to help is not necessarily a man. Sometimes you'll need to break the tribe. Sometimes you'll need to go against a social taboo, like actually saying to your friend, hey, your adversary is acting righteously now and you are not. Or you've put that person in danger and I'm your friend, so I'm telling you, stop. Sometimes this means some of those age-old sayings, and I'll give you the PG versions like sisters before misters or brothers before lovers. That's the PG version. Those slogans are set up to establish tribes. You'll see it on television from time to time when one woman might speak out against the actions of another woman who has perhaps acted unwisely or unrighteously. And that first woman will get slammed because how could you break the sisterhood? How could you go against tribe? It's us against them. You can't break tribe. Sometimes you need to break tribe because we're called to something higher. We're called to be the righteous people of God. Sometimes a vulnerable man, ladies, will need you to speak to another woman on his behalf, to break the sisterhood for that moment, to actually consolidate the sisterhood by coming as a righteous person of God, because isn't that our tribe? It's more than our tribe, it's our family. Sometimes, brothers, you need to tell another brother to back off because someone else is in jeopardy. 
Sometimes, my fellow Aussies, you'll need to not put Australia first because there might be someone who is vulnerable and a righteousness that you need to speak up for. Sometimes, my fellow Christians, you might need to break tribe when Christians are acting poorly and speak up for a vulnerable atheist or warn a deceived Muslim. Sometimes you'll need to break tribe, my fellow evangelicals, and speak for another part of the Christian family who you might have many disagreements with, but you'll break tribe to bring the righteousness of God to be known so that the crown is always present and the vulnerable are protected. Sometimes good people in church on Sunday, you might need to raise your voice, break tribe and speak for them whoever they are. Sometimes someone's not one of us, they're not in our friend group, they're not in our family, they're not our people. Sometimes our people are the people who need to be told, stop, because someone else who's not our people is vulnerable. And we might need to bring the counsel or the warning, but the love of a righteous God into that situation. Always make the crown present. God's call is for righteous people to make the crown of God present, to show up for the vulnerable in whatever age, shape, gender, or style you might find them. Because this is what Jesus did. This beautiful picture of Jesus breaking tribe, where creator, in perfect triune unity, took on flesh, even though it was flesh that had rebelled against God. He took on flesh and stood up for the vulnerable, came, took on flesh, died our death that we might be saved. He broke tribe on that occasion. He who knew no sin became sin for us, protecting the vulnerable and making sure the righteous rule of God was known. Show up. Wicked foolishness has one hope. Make the crown known. Make the crown present, bring the righteousness of God. But of course, our hearts are broken this morning for Tamar, are they not? Because Tamar says, what about my disgrace? Where's the hope there? Who showed up for Tamar? This poor woman in this passage where nobody, father was absent, half-brother violates her, who will protect her? She must feel so alone. Well, once again, Tamar speaks wisely. She says, speak to the king. She points us to the crown. She points us to Jesus. Because as we see in the second passage from 1 Peter 2, Jesus is not just the strong one who brought the righteousness of God. He's not just the one who says, hey, I'll bring the righteousness of God so that we might be protected from our foolish wickedness. He's also the one who knows what it is to be thinking, is no one going to come for me? Is no one going to protect me? This is the Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane who when all of his friends abandoned him, And he was taken like a criminal, like an insurrectionist. He was arrested and all his friends ran away. This is Jesus who stood on trial. 
Jesus who had come to save the lost sheep of Israel and the lost sheep of Israel picked Barabbas and abandoned him and said, crucify him, throw him away outside the city. This is Jesus who on the cross was abandoned by all. They said, if God wants him, let God come and save him. Jesus, whose cry of dereliction was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Knowing the very depths of being abandoned, violated by the nails that pierced his hands and feet. Well, this Jesus is the one who Peter writes about and says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, and here is hope, friends, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Now, nothing he says, and hey, presto, everything got better. He still died an agonizing death, and the season you walk through, just like Tamar, might still be just so difficult and unbearable, and many of us will struggle to understand but Jesus says, in that season, there is hope and trust the crown. The crown that sees, the crown that knows, the crown that judges justly, and the crown that raised Jesus up is the crown that will redeem you and lift you up and is your hope. Tamar was right. Speak to the king, for he is our hope. Jesus is the one who teaches us righteous strength, and Jesus is the one that teaches us hope in the midst of the hardest vulnerability. I was blessed to speak with a survivor, an overcomer of sexual assault. I want to share with you what that survivor shared with me about this passage. That survivor said, I'm so grateful that this passage is in the Bible. I'm so happy for it. I said, why? Because when you are a victim wanting to be an overcomer and survivor of something like this, your greatest fear is the silence, being made to be silent, being silenced, not being believed. In the instant you are unseen and now there's the danger you'll stay unseen and unknown. And this survivor said to me, why I love this is because God puts it in his word. He doesn't say unseen, he says seen. Seen by me and seen to be seen by my people. When Tamar said, oh, what about my disgrace? God guards her dignity. God shows us a righteous woman. There's no hush up, my conversation partner said. God sees and God vindicates and God makes her known to all. I think my friend understood this very idea that Jesus understood, that he could entrust himself to a God who judges justly. And so that's the message. Always keep the crown present. May the righteousness of God always be known. Because the righteousness of God is shown through Jesus Christ and the love of Jesus is not passion driven. It's not confused. The passion of Jesus was driven by love. And indeed, brothers and sisters, it is a love that needs to be contagious for every perpetrator, for every victim, for every survivor, and indeed for every observer. 
may the crown always be presence, that disgrace might be lifted, hope be found, and the vulnerable protected when righteous people speak of the righteousness of Jesus and act in his righteous ways. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you that in him righteousness might be known. We thank you that he breaks tribe, coming from heaven, emptying himself of glory to be found in flesh, human flesh, to rescue us, the vulnerable. We praise you, Jesus, for your sacrifice, your service, and your amazing love. May it be contagious in us that we too may be willing to go where the vulnerable need to have the righteousness of the crown protecting them. And Father God, for all who are on a journey of overcoming a season of violation, may the hope of Jesus be a comfort in this difficult season. May they have the knowledge by your spirit of a God who they can entrust themselves to, a God who lifts up, a God who raises up, a God who redeems, and a God who gives a new name to all who trust in him. For we pray it in his name. Amen.